0: right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, for the gift we may rightly call today. As your Holy Scripture states, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3.13. Thank you, Father, for reminding us of the importance of gathering together as family, of the criticality of doing so in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For as he stated, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John fourteen six. We pray, Father, that those who hear this message are transformed by it, For that is your will for each of your children. We pray also for those unable to be with us, that this message find their hearts available somehow. We ask that you bless this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls, and may it challenge each of us as we hear your calling upon our lives. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit we do pray. Amen. Again, this morning's message is a continuation, of course, part 54 of arguably the most transformational, most edifying, most um, solidifying series I've ever taught from behind the pulpit. So much so that, if you recall, he asked me to literally delete about 13 or 1400 hours of lessons so that we could have a reload, so that we could start over with the gospel proper, so that we could be, in a sense, undistracted as a family, and we could start from a righteous place and move forward. And it's been fantastic so far, and I hope that you are all as excited about all the good things that He's been doing in our souls as a result of our humility as a congregation to do such a thing. So much of our time on earth is spent struggling. From what? Well, for me, it's temptation to think, say, and do just about everything that God doesn't want me to So it's in my lowest moments, my weakest moments, that I literally say to my Father in Heaven, Hey Dad, you made me this way. This is your problem to solve. I'm here, I'm willing, I'm ready. That is a conversation that I've had many times with our Father in Heaven. I say, you know what, Dad? Not to be a punk. I'm not being disrespectful. I'm not being anything but open and willing and able and available. But you know what? This is your problem. You created me. This is your problem to solve. And he says, good for you. That's exactly what I want to hear. Exactly. Our problem is we say, It's our problem to solve. And that's when we begin to rob him of his ability to transform us by grace. So you should have that conversation, and that is not disrespectful whatsoever. You should say, Dad, you made me. Just saying. This is your problem. You promised to transform me. You promised to sanctify me. This is your problem. And every time I've ever said that, I get a sense of, and it's not an emotional thing, it's him speaking to the deep recesses of my soul. He washes uh, any of those temptations right away. He said, that's right, that's exactly the attitude I want from you. That's real humility, not that garbage that religious people tout. So that may sound odd the first time you hear such sentiments, but it shouldn't. In all fairness to his desires for his children, that's exactly the type of attitude that he wants us to have. As we've learned in the past, true humility is aggressive in the sense that it seeks every bit of grace God has promised True humility is aggressive. It's not, "oh shucks. That is garbage. That's that garbage that the world teaches us. That you have to toe the sand and say, "Oh shucks, look at me, I'm so humble. I don't even raise my voice. Please. Do you think Jesus raised His voice when He's flipping tables over in the temple? What say you? Are we going to say that He wasn't pure humility? Humility, true humility, is aggressive. It doesn't go mean peeling out in the parking lot and being aggressive on the drive, you know. It's a different kind of aggressive. People are like, yeah, aggressive, I like that. In brief, grace delivers us from temptation. Here's some scripture on the power to overcome Second Peter 2 Peter nine a then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. He knows how to rescue us. He's teaching you it right now. If you think that your sanctification is your problem, you've already stunted your spiritual growth. You've already stopped it right there. It's not your problem. It's God's problem. Do you realize that? Your sanctification is not your problem. It's His problem. And that's that sort of um, balance statement. Whenever He gives us harsh lessons about, say, prosperity testing, we're not supposed to run out or any, pick choose your poison. Any problem. We're not supposed to run out and force ourselves, force a square peg into a round hole. We're supposed to realize that that is His desire and His will for us. However, it's also His godly, sovereign right to enact the change so that you become that circle instead of the square that can't fit. He's going to do that thing in you. A religious person says, oh, I've got it now. I just have to make myself a circle. I've got to make myself sanctified. I've got to make myself holy. Remember commands in the Bible. I've taught you this. Commands in the Bible are really revelations of His will for us. I mean, who possibly thinks here that you can do His commands without His help? Without His transforming power? Who thinks they can be good? Who thinks that they can love their brother in need without Him? Because all you're going to be is some religious farce. All you're going to be is the same thing the Pharisees were, praying out loud, blowing their own trumpets so everybody could see them. That's called religion. That's what happens when we take the commands of God and we try to sanctify ourselves. When we don't say, God, this is your problem. That's what He wants. He wants you to say, you made me. This is your problem then. You want me transformed? Here I am. Second Peter 2 Peter 2.19b For by what a man is overcome, by this is he, he is enslaved. If you didn't catch Thursday's lesson, please do. It was different, but as always, in a very good, poignant way. The theme of the class was addiction. Let's peruse some Scripture to shore up some of the things we learned on Thursday. Go to Habakkuk 2.5. Habakkuk 2.5, towards the end of the Old Testament. Habakkuk 2.5. We're just going to amplify the things that He gave us on Thursday. And I'm telling you right now, you need to, all of you, if you didn't catch Thursday's message, you need to get it. That needs to be inserted into your souls. And don't say, well I'm not an addict, because once you hear the lesson, you might have a change of mind. Don't say, that doesn't apply to me, because it applies to everyone. Everyone in here is an addict, okay? Hi, my name's Ed, and... (laughs) I'm a something-a-holic. Some kind of temptation. I'm not going to share with you. It's my business. I got problems. You have problems. (laughs) Back at two five. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Scripture is not shy in this Shouldn't be surprising to anyone at this juncture. Scripture is not shy about denouncing alcohol abuse, but as much as it speaks about the temptation to drink too much, it even more so speaks about how God's grace is there for the humble, as their vehicle for deliverance. Go to James one twelve. James one twelve. So, again, the Bible's not shy. and You've got to remember the times as well. There weren't all these sort of boutique drugs that are on the streets now. Uh, wine, strong drink. You'll see though, that language in the Bible because that had a certain prevalence. Um, but if there was such a thing as crack, cocaine, or heroin, or anything like that back then, it's possible the writers would have wrote about that as well. So, this is about principle. This is about... The principle of addiction. It's not even about the thing that someone's addicted to because we're all addicted to something. James 1.12 Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. I love James 1.15 because it shows sort of, the, uh, in terms of wisdom, the string of pearls, how we end up in back in the bondage of spiritual death. Lust, temptation, uh, gives birth to sin if we choose to allow it. So we're always tempted, right? But a temptation is not a sin. It doesn't become a sin until it, it is birthed, if you would. Until we succumb to it. Until we surrender to a temptation. Before that, it's just a temptation. Even Jesus was... Quote, tempted," He just never sinned. And then if you do give in to sin, then you're back into bondage of the very thing that you were delivered from, that you were, quote, saved from. Remember, God saves us from sin. Addiction might be characterized as a specific sin on steroids. And like a steroid user... There are fits of rage. They call it roid rage. Not sure if you knew that. That's how I got this jacked. (laughs) Told you. My filters are low. I'm tired. Just is more than normal just coming out. But these things are always present, just letting you know. There's a lot of thinking that goes on while you're turning your pages. So, addiction might be characterized as a specific sin on steroids, and like a steroid user, there are fits of rage, times where one loses control of themselves. Addictions are the root of so much shame, even, because addicts tend to share their afflictions with those around them, especially those closest to them. So they are often the ones apologizing all the time. Or maybe in the more advanced stages of their addiction, rather than apologize, they simply become recluses, islands in a sense, which is something that Satan encourages even and exploits. Go to 1 John 2.16. 1 John 2.16. See, Satan loves this idea He doesn't, you know, he really doesn't want us to discover the fact that we're all addicts. That's dangerous to him. Because he's got you. Remember, he is in the shadows. He's the father of lies. He wants to lie to you and say that you don't really have this or that problem. That you don't drink too much. Literally or figuratively of the world that you're not drunk on yourself, that you're not intoxicated with an idol. He wants you to believe that you don't have those problems. Because if you don't believe it, then you'll never address it. You'll hear a lesson like this or something like it and go, that's not me. The title says addiction. I don't have any. Satan won. So much is about just What? Seeing it all as truth. Looking in the mirror and seeing what's looking back and saying, yep, that's me. God, you made me this way. This is your problem. 1 John 2.16 For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, but is from the world. So you see, the world, Satan, the kingdom of darkness, these things propagate said addictions. So we all have the propensity for addiction, but here's the good news. The Word is able to wash us of our lustful desires for it. That's the beauty of this morning. That's the beauty of it doesn't matter how tired any of us are or how close to the fringe of sickness even we might even be that we almost stayed home but we pushed through. Here's the good news. The Word is able to wash us of our lustful desires for it. It is able to deliver us from that heinous thing that might ensnare us. Keeping us from a healthy relationship with the Lord. Go to 1 Corinthians 6.12. 1 Corinthians 6.12, that's all Satan really wants. Because if you're an addict, a full-blown one, it's hard to have healthy relationships well, how's that any different if you're an addict in a different way that hinders your relationship with Christ? You're not going to have that healthy relationship, at least not the fullness of it that he wants for you. This is why we have to address our own addictions. And everyone in here has them. 1 Corinthians 6:12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything." Now, that's interesting, because everyone in here, let's just use, you know, alcohol, everybody everybody pretty much has exposure to alcohol, so I'll just go on that. Everybody pretty much in here, if you're of age, has the right, in this country, to have a beer, right? But you don't have the right to have ten and then get in a car, and put other people at danger. You don't have the biblical right, even, to be intoxicated. Ever. That's what we call dissipation of the Spirit. And if you lose the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. You lose the Spirit, you lose your self-control. There you go. Royd rage. This is how it goes. And what was Paul saying? But I will not be mastered by anything. That's the key. Do not let the temptation to be gluttonous, the lust of whatever it is that you deal with to master you. Look, if you can't have a drink, don't have a drink. Don't have a drink. If you can have one and be fine, more power to you. But if you can't, then don't. If you can't stop at just one, then don't have one. Because you know where it's going. It's the same thing with anything. If you're a TV junkie, and you know you get hooked on some new series now, Lost Part 28 or whatever, you know, and you know it's going to steal all your attention because this is what happens. Oh, Oh my God, it's the best vampire series book. Right? Now you're on, there's like seven Additions to this vampire series, and it's rampant with homosexuality and sex and sucking blood and you know all this crazy stuff that's literally unhealthy for the soul. So don't pick up the first volume, because you know what's going to happen. There's going to be a cliffhanger at the. Oh, it's just one more volume. Then there's a cliffhanger in the third, fourth, fifth. Next thing you know, geez, you know I haven't even been li- I haven't even been listening to the lessons lately. You start thinking like a vampire. <laughs> this is what happened to Robin. used to be somewhat normal. That's why like Jim's sitting over here. He's like, she keeps biting me. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I will not be mastered by anything. It's not the thing, you see. It's always what you think of the thing, isn't it? It's not the thing. If you can handle the thing, then Fine. But if you can't, then don't. That's what Paul was saying there. Because if you can't handle it, the chances are you're going to become an addict. That's the point. This is an allusion, of course, with an A, to the curse mentioned in the garden, Tashuka, that sin's desire is to master you. Not just get you once in a while, Sin's desire is to master you. You know, like when you see two dogs go at it and one ends up on its back and it exposes its belly, Well, the one on the top is the alpha. That's the one that's mastering the one that's on their back. Sin wants you to be on your back. It Does't just want to nip you in the ankle once in a while. It wants you on your back. That's what Teshuka means. Men, that's what women desire for you as well. Just saying. Women are like, oh, it's going good. You had to go there. That's right, I had to go there. Right? I'm just being complete in my survey of the Hebrew word teshuka. See? Sin, women, I hate to say it, but I really don't, but they want to dominate. And what's the Bible say? No. You shall be master. That's Teshuka. Sin's desire is to master you. And that's exactly what an addiction to sin that has reached maturity and gathered unto itself a certain stickiness in the soul is. An addiction is really a sin that has mastered you. Addiction up here on the board. When a specific sin rules you, Tashuka, Genesis 4, 7, in view, it has become an addiction. For example, religion is a global addiction to self-righteousness and self-sanctification. What do you think that is? The sin is to be self-righteous and self-sanctifying. Religion is essentially an addiction to that sin, or to those sins. So when a specific sin rules you, it has become an addiction of sorts. For example, religion is a global addiction to self-righteousness and self-sanctification for all of those stuck in religion. The point of all this, of course, as we concluded with on Thursday, is that they're missing something. What's actually missing? Why are you stuck? Why are you an addict? What's missing? A true relationship with Christ. That's what's missing. A relationship with Him. The remedy, as is the case with any addiction, is understanding what Mr. Hari, which was the man in the TED Talks that I showed you on Thursday, what Mr. Hari concluded at the beginning of Thursday's class up here on the board, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. The opposite of addiction is connection. So think about how many people lack a connection with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. What are the ramifications of that to a creature made specifically to relate personally to him? In other words, <laughs> you have something that you were made, especially if you're a believer. I believe that chasm gets even larger. You have, you've been purpose-built to relate specifically to one person, Jesus Christ. And he, we're supposed to receive the fullness of Him in time. Well, what if He's nowhere to be found in your life? Or what if you're on hiatus? What if you have sort of pushed Him and squeezed Him out of your life? Well, there's a huge sucking sound in your soul that's looking for things like intimacy, relationship, happiness, joy. And Satan's like, I got all of those with a little asterisk next to each one called counterfeit. You look at the little disclaimer with the asterisk, you go down the bottom of the sheet, and it says counterfeit. And every single one of those line items that Satan says, he'll fill your cup with, has the asterisk. You want intimacy? I'll give it to you. You want happiness? I'll give it to you. You want X, Y, and Z? I'll give it to you. And you don't even have to go to Bible class. That's the problem, folks. We wonder what I think about, you know, with the. Ele- I'm not, I'm not going to get political, but with the elections, it's ridiculous. Everybody's yelling and spitting and screaming about the elections. It's ridiculous. Nobody knows, maybe one man, I'm not going to say it, but nobody knows or nobody even cares about Jesus Christ truly. The problem is Jesus Christ. It's not politicians. The morons that vote the politicians, the ones that don't have Christ, the masses, they are the problem. I wrote a blog on that, the, you know, the, the, the marionettes. Why blame the marionettes, I think I called it. Why, in other words, why, why blame the politicians when it's actually the people who vote them in? Why? Because everybody wants a scapegoat. See? They're such bad leaders, that's why I'm a jackass. Really? Your neighbors voted that person in. So why don't you go to the neighbors and say, what are we doing? No, I'm an island. Mm -mm. I'm an island now. Everybody's an island now. I'll text them instead. Oh, that's one heck of a relationship. A name with a pretty little someone's face. It's this big, right? And the icon. You know, and half of them are stupid. They got their dogs on there. They got like some ridiculous selfie that doesn't even look like them. You know, they've like, airbrushed. You're really 28, huh? It's Bill. It's Bill. <laughs> right? You know how it is. So think about how many people lack a connection with Jesus Christ. Is it any wonder what's going on in this world, in our own country? Everybody's an addict to prosperity. Everybody's an American idol, so they're an addict to that. The remedy to any one of our addictions, which is certainly a step in the direction of experiential sanctification, is a personal connection With Jesus, the person who hung on the cross. Not a connection to the mere judicial, forensic implications of the cross, as is the case with so many still lost in this world. The emphasis, as we've learned, must be on the person. This is part 54 of the gospel salvation and sanctification how did we begin throw out your little garbage misconceptions your little cheap gospel the one that's all nice and easy on the back of a coin throw that out we're talking about a human relationship with a real person and his name is jesus christ so the emphasis must be on the person and it must stay on the person stated differently our savior is not a doctrine he's a person At salvation, we connect with the person of Christ. And as the Spirit's been pointing out through our studies on the gospel, salvation, and now sanctification, that person was and is the only one able to overcome the power of spiritual death. He states this plainly. John 14.6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So back to the issue of addiction up here in the board. Again, when a specific sin rules you, Tashuka, it has become an addiction. For example, religion is a global addiction to self-righteousness and self-sanctification. That's why religious people make awful ambassadors for Christ. Oh, you're the self-righteous jackass neighbor. And you have a cross on your front door. And you send me Christmas cards and say, God bless. But you have to be the worst neighbor I've ever had. You see me in the yard and you have your nose up in the air. You turn down your nose at me. That doesn't sound like the Jesus I thought I knew in the Bible. I thought he was a generous, loving Kind individual. I didn't know he was so judgmental like that. I didn't know his ambassadors were supposed to be so judgmental, so self-righteous. They're not. (laughs) That's why religious people make terrible ambassadors for Christ. They're terrible uh, representatives of Christ. The only escape from addiction, regardless of the type, intensity, or longevity of it, is through the person of Jesus Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10.13. The only escape from addiction is through the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to overcome an addiction, we all have them, then you have to do it through Him. You have to relate to Him. You know, at the end of the day, in a perfect world, you look forward and you say, To yourself right now, imagine yourself just being so, I mean, don't throw any personal relationship you've ever had because it's never going to suffice in terms of scope. Think about yourself right now. Imagine yourself so in love, I mean, so head over over heels in love with Jesus Christ that you literally are blinded. You can't see anything else but Him. Are you really going to concern yourself about that thing that was had the asterisk next to it? No. You're going to be like, I'm totally content. I'm totally happy. I'm totally secure. I'm anxious for nothing. Jesus Christ loves me. i got nothing else. There's nothing else in this world. When you get to that point, that's maturity. Not memorizing scripture. Not having stacks of this with doctrines on it, with fancy words that are not even in the Bible, that's all a lie. You want to talk about spiritual maturity? It has everything to do with a relationship with Christ. Who cares about, if you can say Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic words, who cares? Who cares if you can say multisyllabic Crazy man-made, multi-hyphenated phrases. Oh, you see. <laughs> Shut up, <laughs> you arrogant jackass! You are a horrible representation of Jesus Christ. If that's you, not kinda, terrible. And most of us are saying, "Ha! I used to be that person. I was." for a while till I saw the light Till he went Whoosh! oh I was the only one <laughs> when he did that all my hair stayed over there <laughs> he hit me so hard my hair fell off <laughs> if that was true I'd be forever grateful I just wish he hit me a little harder so some of the other hair would have fallen off Anyways, I digress. Filters. First Corinthians ten thirteen. Go there. Did I have you go there yet? All right, sorry. I told you. First Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. In God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Hallelujah. That's the good news. The good news is, here it is. You ready? The first good news is he's given you the vision to realize that you're all addicts. Uh Uh-oh. But he's also given you that. He gives you vision, and then he gives you grace. He says, you ready? Ready? for me to work this thing out in your soul, I'm going to show it to you first. You have to accept it. And then I'm going to show you what I'm going to do with you if you stick with me. And you don't have to be all technical about it. You just have to fall in love with him. And I think it was Michelle one time at a Bible study said, you know, the way I think about it is the more I fall in love with Jesus, the less I care about everything else. That was you, right? She's like, yeah. It was me. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was. And it's true. And I've hung on to that. I've, I've remembered that that way because it was a nice way to say exactly what the Spirit's been saying. That if you just focus on Him, the more you focus on Him, there's not even enough time in the day to focus on other things anymore. And so there's this seamless thing that happens that you didn't even have to concentrate on. In other words, you don't have to concentrate on both sides all the time. You concentrate on him and the other ones that don't care. It just sort of goes into the ether. Poof. See, religion says, I gotta do both. Religion says, I'm gonna t- 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 Jesus, take my sins. And I'm gonna do this thing, and I'm gonna wrestle them both to the ground, and I'll make sense on my own. No. Do that. Seriously. Don't do it too often. People might question. But shake it off and realize that you're just, he's just trying to get you with him. Right? It's a relationship. It's a love affair. That's beautiful to me. It takes all the pressure off. The Spirit was very clear on the subject of addiction that we are all addicts in some way, shape, or form. And if you didn't believe that, if you're still struggling with that reality, I gave you, what is this, ten different examples that I happen to think of, you know, on my own. Which addict are you? Not, are you an addict? Is which one are you? These are just examples of other kinds of addicts. Everybody thinks of the druggie, you know. Oh, it's that. No, no, no. The techno junkie, all your spare time on technology, the day planner, all your time making and executing plans, mommy dearest, all your time focused on your kids, trophy spouse, all your time trying to please your spouse, American Idol, all your time building your personal brand, the sex addict, all your time spent thinking about sex, the swindler, all your time spent manipulating others, the conspirator, all your time on conspiracy theories. The overachiever, all your time climbing everything. The emperor, all your time chasing worldly prosperity. I mean, we could just keep going on, right? I just kind of ran out of creative names. I figure you get the point. Whenever we hear the word addict, we think of drugs, but that's a cop-out, really of the worst kind oddly enough, by a group of addicts that refuse to accept the truth about themselves. It's really, you know, choose your poison. You know, Satan being like the bartender. What's your poison? I don't know. Is that how they said it in the old days? No. Choose your poison. I'm thinking of the old saloons, right? All right. The more socially acceptable addictions, wealth, idolatry, etc., are in many ways worse addictions than many others. More destructive, more heinous, more ingrained, more difficult to actually uh, be extracted from, seriously, than drugs, even. I bet you it's easier to extract, this is no um, disrespect or belittling the difficulty of being extracted from. Uh, drugs or anything like that. But I bet you in many ways it's easier to extract someone from a drug addiction than it is from a judgmental mindset, from religion. Institutionalized addictions are given power to judge and scorn the so-called uglier ones. In some ways, the prior is more difficult to overcome than the latter even. I think it's fair to say that addictions are given the space to grow in our lives because something is missing. It's just a collective addict now. The world is like one big addict when it comes to prosperity, when it comes to idolatry, when it comes to sexual sins, when it comes to... So really all that is just to precipitate this question, well, what's missing then? If we all agree that addictions are due to something being missing in the first place, trying to fill a void, then what's missing? Humans were born to connect with their Creator. Everything else is a subsequent development. Without that baseline connection, man searches to exhaustion, changing addictions like seasons. You ever see someone without Christ? They're always searching. I have family members like this they're always searching choose your poison it's this thing then next year it's this thing and then it's this thing and they won't actually surrender to christ so they'll just go through these like iterations like seasons and then you know the list is long enough they just go back to the beginning and then i start quoting einstein you know do the same thing over and over expecting different results that's insanity but they'd rather be insane i guess then surrender to Christ, which is what my next book is about, Arrogance. So what's missing? Humans were born to connect with their Creator. Everything else is a subsequent development. Without that baseline connection, man searches to exhaustion, changing addictions like seasons. Now, instead of viewing addiction only from our own perspectives, as addicts let's let's say what does the Bible have to say about how we ought to view each other as addicts Matthew 25 37 to 40 in the message then those sheep are going to say master what are you talking about when did we ever see you hungry and feed you thirsty and give you a drink and when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you Then the king will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Oh boy, oh boy, we like to overlook people, don't we? Isn't that what it takes to be an idol? Don't we just use people's backs to step up? Ooh, (sighs) I was doing so good. I'm obviously addicted to food. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. The Bible has a lot to say about living for others, especially those in need. It doesn't say that we are supposed to whittle our strength away to nothing to try to save an addict. We're not saviors. So it doesn't say that we're supposed to whittle our strength away to try to save an addict. That's a lie, too. And addicts are really good at manipulating, but we won't go into that. That's not what the Spirit's saying here. He's saying, understand the problem set. We cannot help someone who's unwilling to help themselves, eventually. We can really only avail ourselves to others. So the balance statement up here in the board, grace and love have two sides, both and encouraging, in other words, do its right side, and a discouraging, don't do its wrong side. So addicts shall not be enabled either. That's not love, that's a perversion. So that's the balance statement. Not to get lopsided either. We have to understand that the Bible is always very balanced. With that said, we are, as the Bible says, to live for others. To live for others. That is our sort of destination. If you want to know what spiritual maturity looks like, it means actually when you get to where that is, quote unquote, is, you're actually going to be preoccupied with living for others. You're going to do anything you can. You're going to want to live for others, which is what Christ did. But you can't force it, because that's disingenuous. And who knows what will happen at that point, because that's not even the power of the Spirit, that's the power of the flesh, which means it could not even be ordained by God, so to speak, or His desire, this kind of thing. So we ought to live for others, though. That's our destination. Remember what the Spirit taught us about the abundances in our lives. We give in a variety of ways, depending on the circumstances, and our objective is not to give what we want to give, Rather, what is needed. Now, you might say, well, what's the difference? Well, think about it. I mean, look, if I've got 100 of these, and you have a sore back, and I go, hey, take one. What do I do? Put it on my back? What am I going to do? Is that lip ointment? Yeah. But I had extra, so here you go. That's my good deed for the day. But I don't need that. Well, that's what I wanted to give you. So... (laughs) Like it'll lump it, right? It's like what? You get the, It's not what we want to give. It's what's needed. I know that's a maturity principle for a lot of people. A lot of people are like I don't. I still don't get that. Well, eventually you'll get it. In other words, if your child needs some. This is just an example. If your child needs some mommy time, then put down your stupid smartphone and pay attention to him or her. I am not a perfect example? Don't just flip them a new video game or spend some money to make the need go away somehow. Remember, what can we give? We can give a person, who we are, time, talent, energy, attention, or possession, things we own, money, property, stuff. If I took a vote right now and everybody was honest, I would say the easier one to give is a possession harder to give a person heck we don't even want to give our person to Christ isn't that half the problem people would rather say I kind of like doctrines more than the person because doctrines I don't have to relate to as a person they're easy I put them in my notebook I shut my notebook I go home I watch the game but if it's a real person this is work this is a relationship yeah it is and he's your best friend, and he's going to point stuff out while you're on the couch. You're like, oh, man, stop pointing it out. You're like, oh, look at that hearty, the nacho, the uh, Doritos commercial. Right? And your wife's like right there. And he's like, what are you doing? You know that's adultery. Right? But if he's a doctor in a notebook and the notebook's closed, guess what? He's not chirping at you, is he? He's over on a shelf collecting dust until next Tuesday. Huh. Control or not control? See, most, that's why most people would prefer the doctrines of Jesus rather than Jesus himself, because Jesus is going to talk to you. He's going to get real up in your grill. David. David don't even know I'm talking to him. Look at him. Must be the bald head. We can give a person or of possession. Oftentimes, the best we can give to a need has zero to do with our possessions, and everything to do with our person. Look, you want to live for others? Then do it. Live for others. Get ready. See him transform you. People who struggle with addiction are in a position of weakness. Should we exacerbate their sense of loneliness by scorning them and pushing them off to the side? Or should we find ways to reconnect with them? Galatians 6 One to three. You ask yourself that this day. What are we supposed to do? They're in a moment of weakness. They're in a position of weakness. What are we supposed to do? Be like the religious fool who says, with the big, you know, they have like these E.T. fingers, shame on you. And they're constantly waving it. It's like rubberized. Shame on you, right? (laughs) Supposed to do that? That's, That's judging. We don't have the right to be shaming people. Last time I checked, he bore all the shame on the cross. Or should we find ways to reconnect with them? Galatians 6, 2-3, in the message, Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him. Saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed share their burdens, and so complete Christ's law. If you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. Listen, all of this work has to do with how God is going about sanctifying us experientially. This has everything to do with it. It's not about addiction. Addiction is just a symptom. It's a symptom of what? What we are before he sanctifies us. Where we're coming from. That little domain, that area of darkness, however you'd like to look at it. All of this has to do with how God is going about sanctifying us experientially. Up here on the board, connection implies sanctification. Sanctification is placing something where something is missing in the life of a believer. That something is a relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, you were born again, you were set aside, now you have a need. And He's going to place that something, Jesus Christ, into your life. That's what sanctification means. It's not about, look, the, the doctrines, what you're doing right now is absolutely necessary, but the end goal is the person. It's not collecting unto yourself, you know, notes and these kinds of things. There's something missing. And it's a connection with Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, we lack everything. Disconnected people are not sanctified. It's that simple, folks. Disconnected people are not sanctified. They're mutually exclusive things. Connected, sanctified. Disconnected, not sanctified. In other words, you could be a brilliant biblical scholar and literally be an atheist. They exist. Satan's one. A brilliant biblical scholar and not believe in Christ. Let's put it that way. Because Satan believes, he just don't accept, which is different. But you could be, and they exist in this world, a brilliant biblical scholar put everybody in this room collectively to shame on so-called doctrines and still be an atheist? How could that possibly be? And then I'll take one of the possibly, I mean, you can never speak for little kids, but possibly one of the kids in the prep school room right now, and they would be more sanctified, and they wouldn't hardly know any scripture, but yet they're saved. Shh. What a chasm, huh? I wonder if that's why he bounced children on his knee. He said the kingdom belongs to these. Disconnected people are not sanctified. Christ himself was very social. doesn't imply extroversion, so don't be, go trying to be something you're not. Even though his, quote, circle of friends was relatively small, given the size of his ministry, John 17, 19, up here in the board, and he amplified... John 17, 19, For their sake I sanctify myself to do your will, so that they also may be sanctified, set apart, dedicated, made holy in your truth. That's what this is all about, folks. Your addictions are keeping you from truth. Practically speaking, the next time you feel that itch, connect with Jesus Christ. Up here on the board. Because connection implies sanctification. Connect with Jesus then. You get that itch, you know? If you've got an addiction, they call it the itch. You know? The temptation is that it's fever pitch. When that happens to you, stop it. Pick up your Bible. That's why it's always good to have a Bible somewhere on you. If you're a techno junkie, have it on your phone. Have it on your home screen. Not like, you know, buried in some folder somewhere. Collecting dust inside of that little piece of technology have it on your home screen have a bible in your car do whatever it takes because god knows you'll do whatever it takes to get your scratch tickets oh my god we gotta get to the look at this bus all these Greyhound buses going to casino we gotta beat them look at the crowds of old people i'm so glad we drove They almost got my Wizard of Oz slot. Ladies like this. You're like, she's got a little walker. You're like, Don't beat that lady. You'd be surprised how fast the old people can move. And they lay across like five machines. They growl at you for looking at their hot machine. Not that I've ever been there. These are all stories that I receive, wisdom from the masses. Cruel world out there. (laughs) So whatever it takes, this is the point. Don't focus on the addictions. We all have them. It's good that you're laughing. Probably at me, but that's fine. It's good that you're laughing. It's good to have fun. Amen? Laughter is good for the soul. That's biblical. Connect with Jesus. Maybe you'll laugh more. What do you think is going on right now? Why do you have that soulful laugh you just had? Why do I see beaming faces right now? Because you're all connected with Jesus. And there's a joy that comes out of you. Well, I'm going to cry because I was just thinking about yesterday. All right? I looked over at uh, little Shawnee; he's crying. Uh, Joey and Tammy are doing their mother sun dance. And sh- I look over here at Shawnee, who's typically, most often publicly, a stone. And he's crying. Why? Because he was overwhelmed with joy, overcome in the moment. But he was smiling, he was crying, you know, happy crying, that kind of a thing. Why? Because everyone was present and accounted for and happy and connected. So connect with Jesus. Pray with him. Open your Bible and drink him. Consume him even. John six fifty three to 58. Watch as the word washes over you and delivers you from your recurring lusts. Jesus said, John six fifty six 56 up here on the board, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. We're pretty much out of time. I don't think it's worth to open up another can of worms. But let's close here with Romans 1.16. Go there. This will take us at least back to the precipice of where we need to go. Didn't realize that was going to go that long this morning. But his will be done, right? All of that takes us back to Paul's tremendously edifying words, the words that really have launched us into our studies as of late, Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Think of where we just came from, please. All the lessons, 54 parts. And I would guarantee, if I look back, every single lesson of those 54 parts, he's made me take you back to the gospel. He's made me Say, don't let them forget about the gospel. I want them living the gospel reality, and from there I will launch them from faith to faith. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And I'll close with this last principle, and then I'll show you a video, and we'll all go home and collapse. (laughs) (laughs) No, I will. Perseverance of the saints. From faith to faith expresses that true faith is not a single event, my friends. It's a way of life. It endures. If you have it, it becomes your way of life. Now, it doesn't happen overnight, but He promises to give you faith so that it will become a way of life, and it endures. In this sense, the righteousness from God that is revealed is unique to true believers only, for they live by faith. So when you read Romans 1.17, think of it this way. describes... The essence of life for a true believer. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is, this is everything that I am. Everything good about me. I am what I am by the grace of God, says Paul. Same guy who wrote Romans 1.17. He said, why in the world would I be ashamed of that? If I was ashamed of that, I'd be ashamed of myself. You know, like the religious people really are deep down. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is everything that I am. I'm tethered to this thing. It's from faith to faith. I'm going to live that way. And he taught his disciples, and he teaches us thousands of years later, literally, the same principles. We are here to live by faith. It's a way of life. Amen? All right, let me show you a nice video, and then we'll close. can get through Yeah, it may be hard, but the best thank you again for this morning's message, for a time to fellowship together in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to worship you in this most important of ways, and for the privilege of sharing this time together as family. Thank you for giving us the faculties to hear the word, For as your word states, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. We pray, Father, that those who are humble enough to hear the gospel this day, that those who are also humble enough to deliver it up, that these two parties meet in the only supernatural way that leads to life, that is your salvation, Father. We pray that your will be done through each of us here this morning, that we might seek and find the righteous opportunities to satisfy our Lord's great commission to go forth and evangelize. May you bless all traveling from this local assembly. It's in Christ's precious name, by the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.